Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. For centuries now, there has been a traditional greeting um, that Christ followers have used um, every Easter. And it goes something like this. He is risen. And then you respond. Okay. Some of you are not convinced. This is Easter after all. Okay, so let me try it one more time. Now that you know how to respond, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Now the reason we start with that, the reason I'm starting with that this morning is because there seems to be a lot of confusion, a lot of misperception about what Easter is really all about. Um, A lot of people have a whole lot of different ideas about what this day is really all about. And I brought a couple of props with me, kind of illustrate some of the misperceptions that people have. A lot of people think it's just really about spring, and it's the hope and the promise, and it's it's kind of a metaphor for this idea of a fresh start, that no matter how dark and long uh, the winter might have been, that, that, that Easter is the celebration of spring. It is the promise of a fresh start, and that's not what Easter is about. For a lot of people, Easter is about family. It's about tradition, and and of course, that means the afternoon lunch and the Easter egg hunt. And you get together as a family, you color the eggs. Did these yesterday with my grandkids and uh, they helped me quite a bit. Um, and so that people think about it as Easter's being just, it's a good time to get family back together again and celebrate some of those traditions. But Easter is not a celebration of family. Um, of course, for some people, it's all about the candy and Easter bunnies. And I've never understood how a bunny gets connected with eggs and Easter and all of that. Um, But it's one of those things. Now, actually, I have a friend. um, He's got kind of a new Easter tradition. A number of years ago, he had bought uh, the chocolate bunnies for his kids and put them in the trunk of his car and then completely forgot about them. And so they sat in the trunk of his car for a couple of weeks and just got hot and everything melted and became a big, squishy chocolate mess. And, um, and so he gave those to his kids. So now, ever since then, that is his tradition. He has to buy his Easter bunnies a couple of weeks ahead of time, make sure they're good and melting and just a, you know, awful looking, and then they can give them to the kids, and they're just really excited about the whole thing. And then, of course, it wouldn't be Easter without peeps. Got to have peeps for Easter. Um, and, of course, the best way to have peeps is you open the package, you let them sit for a week until they're good and stale, and that's when they're the best. So um, we're going to let the peeps sit in on the message this morning because they need to hear what, under, what Easter is really all about. Because it's not about spring, and it's not just a family gathering and traditions, and it's not about bunnies and eggs and candy. It's really a celebration of something quite a bit different. And it's really actually just not, even, not a celebration about God or not a celebration of Jesus. It really comes down to one singular event. And if you're here this morning and you've been kind of wondering what this Easter thing is all about, you're not sure what you believe about God or what you believe about faith or about the Bible. Um, maybe you got dragged here because you were promised the lunch afterwards and so you got kind of bribed into coming here or it's just kind of one of those things. It's Easter. I feel guilty if I don't. Now you can tell your mama. I went to church today, okay? Whatever reason you might be here, I want you to, I'm glad you're here this morning because I want you to understand this is what Easter is all about. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We have been in a series, um, actually we're going through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's called The Story and God's unfolding story of redemption in human history. And one of the things that we have been learning is as we've been going through the Old Testament is all of these events in the Old Testament keep pointing to this day. They're pointing ahead, forward, by thousands of years ahead of time, pointing to what we celebrate today. 
It is the singular defining fact and, and truth that makes Christianity what it is. It is what differentiates Christianity and the Christian faith from all other faiths. It is the resurrection. And it was the keystone of the, of the first century church. It was, it was the center of all of their preaching and their proclamation. And it is so important that Paul says, actually, if there's no resurrection, then everything else is just worthless. In his letter to the Corinthian church, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, it's 1 Corinthians, his first letter to them. And it was actually to a group of Christ followers who had some questions about this whole idea of resurrection. What is it about? Is it real? Because they were not, they were not firsthand um, eyewitnesses to it. They weren't from the, the, the city of Jerusalem that actually saw and had this encounter with Jesus. Um, but he wrote to them because they had questions about all of it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes these words, beginning in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance... That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Skip down to verse 14. For if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. In other words, we're found to be liars about this whole thing. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him from the dead if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. What Paul is writing about and saying is, it all comes down to this. If there's no resurrection, then what we do when we gather together in the weekends is really just a waste of time. We would be far better off going up to the lake or spending our Sundays doing something else. Because if there's no resurrection, then nothing else matters. Nothing. It all hinges on the resurrection. It is the resurrection that makes all the difference. And he says it makes a difference in a lot of different ways. Easter makes a difference between condemnation and forgiveness. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. As we've been going through this series called The Story, and we've been looking at it, one of the things that we've discovered is there is this gap. There is this gap between the God who created us and who we are. There's a gap between the God who created you and who you currently are. And it comes down to this simple sentence. God is perfect and you are not. <laughs> it's just that simple. And, and, and to kind of drive that home, I want, you to be able, I want us all to be able to kind of identify with this. So just mass confession this morning by a show of hands, um, because after all, it is church and confession is good for the soul. How many would say by a show of hands that you have had just a little bit of difficulty being perfect the last seven days? Anybody? Okay. Maybe most of you, how many would say, well, I've done pretty good, but I'm not too sure about the person next to me. That's the real question. Yeah. See, the truth of the matter is there is this problem, there is this gap, there is this separation, and it is called sin. It is our imperfections, it is our failures. It is sometimes our outright rebellion against the ways of God. 
And, and I know a lot of people say, well, that's just kind of, that's, a, that's, that's kind of a concept. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want to get into all that. that that's just, just so offensive to me. That's kind of silly. But the truth of the matter is that sin wrecks havoc on, on the very core of who we are. It is far more insidious and dangerous than we think. Because what it does is it goes to the very core of our being. And it's like a cancer on our souls. G.K. Chesterton said, Sin is the only theological concept that is entirely provable. (laughs) Because we all know it. And we all know, if we're honest enough with ourselves to say, it kills me from the inside out. We would like to think that God would grade on a curve. curve. After all, nobody is perfect. We've all admitted that this morning. So we're not perfect. So God maybe will make some allowances. Because I may not be perfect, but I know I'm better than those other people. I I, I can think of hundreds of people who are far worse than I am. So so God's going to make some allowances along. We would like to think like we would like to think like God is just like the FDA. Food and Drug Administration. They actually make allowances for prepared food. I brought a couple of them with me this morning. Um, did you know that in, a can, in canned tomatoes, there is certain allowance? Because after all, you can't be totally pure. So the FDA has said, okay, in canned tomatoes, they will allow five fly eggs and one maggot per 500 grams. Frozen broccoli. You like frozen broccoli? They allow 60 mites per 100 grams. Frozen Brussels sprouts. Why would you want frozen Brussels sprouts? I have no idea. But if you do, they allow, they allow an average of 30 or more aphids per 100 grams. Macaroni, box of macaroni, they will allow 4.5 rodent hairs per 225 grams. And in peanut butter, in peanut butter, there is an allowance of 30 insect fragments and one rodent hair per 100 grams. How's that for your Easter brunch appetite? I had someone come to me last night after one of the services and they said, you don't even know what they say about mushrooms. So I didn't even want to look it up. I don't want to know. See, there's these imperfections. And the FDA says, well, yeah, we know he can't be perfect, so we're going to make some allowances. It's okay if there's a little bit of this imperfection. I don't know. How many, how many read this week about what's happened up in Portland? Anybody read about this? The, city, the Portland Water District is about to release 38 million gallons of water, processed purified water, because they found a videotape of a teenager who urinated in the reservoir. And so they're going to flush 38 million gallons of water down the drain because one kid took a pee. <laughs> now, actually, if you think about it, compared to the FDA, the Portland Water District is a lot more like God because they're not allowing any imperfections. See, we would like to think that God will make those allowances. But the truth of the matter is, there is this sin problem that all of us have. It's created this gap. And the biggest problem is that there is a bottom to this gap. It is a canyon that has a bottom to it. And the landing is hard. Because it's death. Not just physical death. But relational death. Spiritual death. Internal separation. From God. What are you going to do about that? We need an answer to it. And that's, that's what the cross is all about. Because on the cross, what Christ did was he paid the penalty for our sin. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day. Now, sometimes people say, well, why couldn't God just forgive? Why can't God just make allowances? I mean, after all, he's a loving God and he knows we're not going to be perfect. So why can't he just 
Say, okay, all the oxen free. <laughs> See, here's the problem. And you know this. Anytime a wrong is committed, there is hurt. There is pain. There is damage. Someone hurts me, damages me, wrongs me. There is a pain associated with that. Now, I have one of two choices. I can choose to retaliate or punish and get them back for what they did to me. Or I can choose to forgive. But if I choose to forgive, there is still pain involved. The choice that I make when I forgive is I choose to absorb that pain, that brokenness, that hurt. And that's what God was doing through Christ on the cross. That he was absorbing the full brunt and punishment, not just of my own sin, but the sins of the world. That's why, he took, that's why he went to the cross. And the resurrection says that what he did on the cross is all that needs to be done. That Christ has triumphed over and it, our sin and that our forgiveness is entirely secured in him. That's what the resu- resurrection says. That the certainty of my forgiveness is sure and assured by him. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. See, we're not only forgiven of the past, but we are given a new relationship, a new life with God. And that's one of the other differences. It makes a difference in our daily lives. That Easter makes a difference between a life of futility and a life of fulfillment. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The word that he uses there, useless, is actually the word, it literally translated would be empty, hollow, futile. Void. See, if there's no resurrection, then, then really Jesus is just another martyr. And there's been plenty of martyrs down through history who paid the price for their beliefs or their philosophy or their religion. There's been plenty of those. There's no resurrection. Then he's just another martyr. And, and his, teachings, his teachings are just another code of ethics, just like anybody else's. And it's just another philosophy, just like anybody else's. It really doesn't make any more difference than anybody else's. It's just what it is. And it's just a code of ethics, which we'll always fall up short anyway. So it's meaningless. I say that because sometimes people say things like, you know, I believe Jesus was a great man and a good moral teacher. And I believe his teachings were strong. And his Sermon on the Mount, if we could all live by that, would be, that, would, that would just change the world. But I'm not too sure I believe this resurrection stuff. And Paul says, listen, he doesn't allow that. You can't accept his teachings and reject the resurrection. Because if there's no resurrection, then his teachings really aren't all that much. Resurrection makes a difference. See, one of the things, one of the things about the Easter story that is so striking is the doubt and disbelief of all of his followers. If you're here this morning, you're saying, I, you know, I am one of those people. You can put me in that book. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his teachings. I think he's a great man, but I'm not too sure I believe the resurrection. You are in good company because none of his followers believed in it either. Not until it happened. Although he had told them about that, none of them believed it. None of them. In fact, one of his disciples, his very name is associated with doubt, Thomas. None of them believed it was going to happen. The women didn't get together on that Easter Sunday morning and say, what are you going to say to him when he comes to life? 
The disciples didn't gather around the tomb on that Easter Sunday morning, counting down, waiting for the sunrise, watching it come over the horizon and counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Wait for it, wait for it. 3, 2, 1. Nobody believed it. Nobody expected it. If you're skeptical, you've got some doubts about it, you're in good company. Because they didn't. Even his closest followers didn't believe it. But the resurrection means that a new life really is possible. See, for all of his followers, they got to that point where they felt, you know, this was all just futile. This was all just empty. These last three years we spent following him and listening to him and getting all of his teachings, it's all done. It's over. It's all been futile. But the resurrection says, no, it has meaning. There's purpose. There is the chance of new life. That it was an event in human history, but it was the beginning of a new life for anyone who will follow him. Anyone who will trust him. Anyone who will believe in him. It is the message of grace that a God who loved people so much for whatever reason came and gave his life on our behalf and was resurrected to make us sure that we can have this new life. It's what Paul wrote about. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. The power of God's grace is life-changing. It changed a doubting Thomas to someone who fell on his knees and said, my Lord and my God. It changed a Peter who, at the night of Jesus' arrest when he was around the campfire, was afraid of a middle school girl who had found him out and accused him of being a follower. To stand a few weeks later in the city of Jerusalem in front of all of those who had been part of that crowd yelling crucify him and saying, this Jesus that you crucified, God has raised from the dead and made him Lord of all. It changed his life. It changed a man named Saul who was hell-bent on destroying this new cult that had sprung up. And he was so struck by the power of Christ's resurrection that it turned him around and he became the strongest proponent, wrote half of our New Testament and planted churches all throughout Asia, Asia, and into Europe. And it changed a group of, of fearful followers locked behind doors, closed doors, into a force that outlasted the Roman Empire itself. It's life-changing, and it will change your life as well. Makes all the difference. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also might live new lives. That's the difference that Easter makes. It's what we celebrate, and it's why this day is so important. Because it, it holds not only the forgiveness of my past and the promise of this life right now, but it also makes a difference with regard to my eternity. It makes a difference between an eternity that is just wishful thinking and something that is a certain hope. Paul says the last enemy is death. If God cannot defeat death, then what can he do? But the resurrection says that death has been defeated, that death does not get the last word. Pain does not get the last word. Sin does not get the last word. I heard a story a number of years ago about a, a, um, a Sunday school class, and the teacher was talk, on Easter Sunday was talking, telling the Easter story and you know, was engaging the students and at one point asked the question, what were Jesus' first words to his followers? And before he could give the answer, one little girl shot up her hand and she goes, I know, I know, I know. And he called on her and she says, what was, what was the last words Jesus said to his, the first words Jesus said to his followers when he was resurrected? She said, ta-da! 
Now, I don't know if that's a direct translation from the Greek or not, but it pretty much subs up this day that death does not get the last word, that sin does not get the last word, that life in Christ gets the last word. And the promise is that there is a life beyond this one. And it is real. It is solid. It is far more real, far more solid, far more tangible than than the life that you live on this earth. It is not some ethereal spirit world. I, I have no interest in sitting on a cloud for eternity. And I have never, never been interested in learning how to play the harp. <laughs> That's not the life to come. See, the bodily resurrection says that this is something solid. This isn't just some spirit, ethereal world out there where we all kind of float around on on clouds and strum harps. That it is far more real than you can imagine. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce, talking about that separation that we've experienced with God. And, and, and in the story, in the novel, um, someone who gets the opportunity, who has not experienced the grace and the profound transformation of Christ, gets an opportunity to visit heaven. And, and he can't stand it because it's far too solid. It's far too real. He walks uh, barefoot on the grass, but it, the grass blades puncture his feet because he's not prepared to live in this world. It's so real and so solid. He goes to step into the, to a river, and it's solid. He just slides on down as it r- rolls on by. He can't take it because he doesn't know the reality of this world. It is not something that he's ever experienced. The resurrection says that the life to come is not some dream world, not some ethereal floating in the sky. It is something solid and real and available to all. That's what the resurrection says. If Christ has not been raised, Paul wrote, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Saying if this resurrection is not true, then pity us. Poor, pitiful us. Because we have put all of our eggs in this Easter basket. And if that's not a reality... Man, pity us. Pity us. See, the resurrection says you can be sure that there is a life far more real, far more solid beyond this one. And is life freed from pain and death and the damage that sin does in our relationships and in our souls? The resurrection says it's real. And it's available. And it's open to everyone. Christ has truly been raised from the dead. The first one and proof that those who sleep in death will also be raised. In Adam all of us die. In the same way in Christ all of us will be made live again. That's what we celebrate. That there is now a way to know. Not only that I am forgiven of my past, not only that I have a chance at a new life here, but I have a promise of eternity that is real and solid and available. And it is all in Christ. That's what he says. Christ is the one who has done it all. That's why we celebrate this day. That's what makes all the difference. Now, sometimes, again, people will say, that just sounds a little too narrow for me, a little too exclusive. 
How can you say it all has to come through Christ? Because Christ is the only one who paid the ultimate price for my sin. Christ is the only one that can truly offer me the forgiveness because he absorbed the pain that my sin deserved. Christ is the only one that rose from the grave to offer this new life. And if anything, what it does is it throws the doors wide open. Because you see, if it was based on my righteousness and my ability to be good, I would never know where I stood. And it would automatically exclude others who aren't as good as me. If it, was, if it was based on my knowledge and my IQ and my ability, then there would be some people who would be automatically excluded because they wouldn't be smart enough. They wouldn't be good enough. They wouldn't be righteous enough. They wouldn't be holy enough. Because truth is, none of us are. If it was up to us, there would be no way. But what Christ has done through the death and resurrection um, and bringing us life is he's saying it's open and available to all. I love the way that Andy Stanley puts it. He says, Jesus' death and resurrection signaled to the world that the kingdom of God is not reserved for good people. It is reserved for forgiven people. Everybody is invited. Everybody can meet the requirement. And everybody gets in the same way. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.